I started this uh, sermon series last week. I'm really excited about it. Anyone have a great time last week? <clears throat> Come on. We're calling it Suit Up. We're looking at the armor of God. And I'm going to pray as we go into week two. And I'm looking forward to what we got in store today. Father, thank you for your word that is living and active. Thank you that it is powerful. And thank you um, that you have not only called us to, uh, to, to fight spiritual battles, you've called us as victors. You've given us power. You've given us armor. You've given us uh, what we need to be overcomers. And we ask for the grace and the strength of God and the revelation of God through your word as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this last week I started talking about a story, started by talking about a story of Pearl Harbor. In the early 1940s, the world was at war, yet America was at a relative time of peace until one day when that war came to our doorstep, December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor was bombed because we were not in a wartime mentality. We were not prepared for the attack of the enemy. We lost 2,500 lives that day. Suddenly, we went from one day being at peace in a a peacetime mentality to suffering great loss and finding ourselves in an unexpected war. Now, whether we like it or not, we are in an invisible war, each and every one of us. Whether you were expecting that, whether you were wanting that or not, we are in a war for our hearts. We're in a war for our worship. We are in a war for our families, our relationships, for our freedom. We're in a war for our destinies and calling that God has made. We're in a war for our cities and our neighbors. You see, we believe heaven and hell are real. We believe angels and demons are real. We believe that there's a real enemy that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy from our lives. But we also believe in a real savior who came to give life in life more abundantly. We believe in a real Savior who came to defeat the power of the enemy, who came to defeat the one who wants to bring destruction in the earth, and that is who we worship, and that is who we love and adore. As I shared last week, we need to know we are in an invisible war so we can only come prepared, but we need to learn to walk in the armor and the power of the cross and everything that God has given us to be people that walk in victory and destiny and to be the people of impact that God has called us as individuals and us as a church to be, amen? But to help us understand the unique part of this war today that we're gonna look at, I wanna go back to the story of Pearl Harbor for a minute. You know, it happened on December 7th, 1941. That was a low point for our nation. But on December 8th, the next day, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, our president at the time, addressed our nation. And he did that not only to awaken us to the severity of the battle we found ourselves in by calling it a day of infamy, but secondly, he did it to speak to the very heart of our nation. You can imagine an unexpected attack. You can imagine the lives of 2,500 people being lost in Pearl Harbor. You can imagine the heart of our nation was discouraged. The heart of our nation was shocked. The heart of our nation didn't know what to do or where to go. And he spoke to the very heart of our nation. And he called us to be people of courage. And he called us saying, we, you know, we are people of destiny. 
I'm sure what he was thinking as a president was that if the heart of a nation was not filled with strength and hope, we would not only lose a war we found ourselves in unexpectedly, but we could surely become captives. He had to stop and address the heart of a nation so we could go forth to fight for our freedom. Now, I'm not talking about natural war today or America per se, but we are talking about a real spiritual war that we are a part of. And we're gonna reread in a minute about the armor of God that we're studying in Ephesians chapter six that God has given to us. But I wanna hone in specifically today on a part called the breastplate of righteousness, which deals with the heart. And we're gonna discover the importance of the heart and the incredible armor that God has given us. So I wanna look at Ephesians chapter six as we look at the heart, as we look at the armor of God and the breastplate of righteousness today. Ephesians chapter six, if you don't have a Bible, just throw your hand up. We'd love to put the word of God in your hand. If you don't own one, please keep it. Ephesians chapter six, we're looking at verse 10 through 20. Again, this is speaking of the battle we find ourselves in. Paul says this, finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So here's Paul talking about the battle we live in. He goes, he was in the book of Ephesians talking about the Christian life and what Jesus has done on the cross and telling us to love our neighbor and our spouses and people around us to telling us to walk in holiness. And he ends with this segment saying, and listen, this is going to be a battle. Don't just think you're going to walk into God's destiny and calling and make an impact and have a great marriage or have great relationships without an enemy who hates you giving you a little fight through it. I believe this could be one of the most significant series we do as a church because if we don't know how to individually fight, we'll never be the people of destiny that God has called us to be. And I believe we as a church will not walk in the calling we're called to walk in. God is training us to fight. And today we're going to look at this piece in verse 14 talking about the breastplate of righteousness. He says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
Now, what is that? First, I want to show a little image of the breastplate of righteousness. Here you see an armor. Again, this is in, in a context where, where Rome was kind of one of the prevailing empires. And I talked last week on how Roman soldiers were uh, the most trained war people of their day. Everyone aspired to Romans, Roman soldiers. Everyone feared the Roman soldiers. And here uh, is kind of a Roman soldier in the armor of God. And this is what Paul would be referring to when he talks about the armor of God. And so you see the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to talk about it more in a little bit, but it is literally a, a two-part piece that goes over the front and over the back and is held on, as we talked about last week, by the belt of truth, is, is held together by the belt. So when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, I want you to think for a minute why you think this would be an important part of the armor. Think about that for a second. <clears throat> There's a number of important parts to a human under that space, but maybe the most important part is the heart. Now, what does the heart do that is significant? What the heart does is literally pump life to the rest of the body. Heart pumps, it pumps, it pumps, it pumps life to the rest of the body. The life of a human is in the blood. If the human starts losing blood in a certain part of their body, they will die, at least in that part, if not their whole body. If the heart is good, our body will be good. If our heart is not good, it'll start to damage, if not kill, the body. If a heart is in trouble, we are in trouble. <clears throat> And this is a picture, you know, I believe so often God uses physical analogies for spiritual realities. This is a picture because I don't think he's talking throughout scripture, it talks about the heart over a thousand times. You see, it's a central piece. I don't think the Bible's just talking about the physical heart every time. I think it's talking about something deeper, the heart of a person. <clears throat> and you see it over a thousand times is, is a central theme of scripture, it says that God has a heart. David was described as a man after God's own heart because we're made in God's image. I believe we not only have a physical heart, but we have a core of who we are. Our, our, our feelings, our mind, our will, our emotions, that's what it's talking about when it talks about a heart. And it says that we have a heart and that we have a God who searches our hearts. We're to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and that from the heart flows out evil things or good things. It also says, from the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. The heart has a central theme throughout <clears throat> Scripture. It is a picture of a kind of a spiritual seat where our desires and our emotions and our will dwell. It is where we choose to worship God or to worship something else. It is, choose, is where we choose to walk by faith or choose to walk by fear. It is where we choose to be impressed by God, or it is where we choose to be intimidated by the enemy. <clears throat> so it's not a surprise that this passage starts in verse 10 by saying, be strong in the Lord. I don't think he's just talking about your thighs, church. <laughs> I don't think he's just saying, hey, do some extra squats so you can kind of be strong. I think he's talking about an internal strength. I think he's referring to the strength of the heart. 
He starts this whole passage of the armor of God and the battle we're supposed to fight by telling us to be strong in our hearts. Because he knows if we don't have strength in our hearts, we're not going to win the battle we're called to fight. We're not willing to be people of courage. Now think about it, Joshua, right? They're about to go into the promised land. What was his command? Was it to have strong thighs? No. Was it to know a lot? No. It was to be strong and courageous and to do that by meditating on the word and by focusing on the Lord. They were to be strong and courageous if they were to be people of destiny. My brothers and my sisters, we need to have a strong heart of courage and life that comes from faith in a powerful God if we are going to run the race and finish it that God has called us to, to run. <clears throat> if you lose your courage, you start to lose the battle. You ever been on a sports team before? You're going along, all of a sudden you get a couple unexpected blows, and you just feel the team kind of wither. You can look back in sports history at games like that where it's going strong and all of a sudden a couple unexpected plays, a touchdown or whatever the sport is, and all of a sudden the team starts to wither. Maybe you've been a part of a team before that just kind of, you know, and you just felt that throughout the game. You also might have been a part of a team before that somewhere at halftime you went back to the locker room and someone got up, the coach or a player, someone got up and called you to courage again. Spoke life and hope again to your heart and called you to go give it your all. Called you to remind you that you were on the field not to lose but to win and that you have what it takes. If you lose courage, <clears throat> we'll automatically likely lose the battle. So the heart is central to uh, how we live and how we fight our battles. But I want to take this deeper with this connection of the breastplate, which covers the heart, and righteousness. <clears throat> Why would there be a connection between the heart and righteousness? <clears throat> First of all, like I said, because the heart, right, the kind of the seat of our, the spiritual seat of our will, our mind, emotions, is where we choose God, where we choose life or death. But what is, what is righteousness? <clears throat> To get that, we need to remember first the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Remember if I said last week, the belt of truth is what holds together the breastplate of righteousness. Truth is an objective standard by which we kind of determine what is right or wrong. <clears throat> that is what truth is. And we said last week to, to know ultimate truth, we need to go back to the creator and the creator's truth. And so righteousness is a standard by which is the application of that standard in which we live. And ultimately, we don't, as human beings, decide what is righteous. God decides what is righteous, and that righteousness is our application of his truth. <coughs> so, now this doesn't happen in isolation. Okay, we don't choose life or death in isolation <clears throat> because we're in a spiritual battle. And we are worshiping God or choosing to not worship God. And so it's important, right, you have righteousness and then you have what is wrong, what is against God's standard of righteousness. And in this battle, 
God can bless righteousness, but if we choose not to walk in righteousness, we'll not only kind of step outside the blessing of God, we can invite the enemy and his purposes. This is talking about a spiritual battle in verse 12 when it talks about we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, cosmic powers. We don't need to get all freaked out because Jesus won and we're going to focus on the armor here. But the demonic is tied to our wrongness. <clears throat> the demonic is tied to our wrongness. Remember, this is talking about spiritual warfare. All of a sudden, we're just choosing to walk in bitterness, or we're choosing to walk in unforgiveness, or we're choosing to walk in sin. All of a sudden, we start to get a little blinded, right? There's one that would love for you to stay deceived and stay blinded. <clears throat> Unrighteousness gives Satan a legal right to have access to our life. Now remember, Jesus won on the cross. You don't need to be afraid, but you need to be aware. If we choose unrighteous over a period of time, we can open a door for Satan's lies, for Satan's destruction into our life. Now, you can shut that door if you're in Christ. You have authority in Christ to shut that door, you know, today. Rebuke the devil, submit to God, and he'll flee from you. But as long as we don't rebuke the devil and submit to God, we start to give an access. <clears throat> Satan, you know, again, unrighteousness is, is, gives him a legal right. When we talk about righteousness, it's not just our actions. It goes even deeper to the heart. It's our motives. You look at Jesus in the Sermon on he took it to the next level. He didn't just say, hey, um, you know, if you commit adultery, it's like I said, no, if you actually look at a woman with lust, it's, it's adultery. <clears throat> so Jesus goes deeper and defines righteousness not just as standards, we outward standards, but inward truth and reality we live by. We need to understand this to, to fight these battles and win. We need to understand that God's standard is perfect. So you might be sitting here saying, man, I feel like I'm toast. Because I know for sure, I've, you know, if you're saying, oh, you know, that's, that's what the standard is, I'm far, I fall far short of that, right? <clears throat> Who could be righteous? Who could possibly be righteous if God not only looks at our outward actions but also our inward motives? We're all in trouble. This is where I got great news for y'all. And this is where we look at the breastplate of righteousness. How do I get this righteousness in operation in my life to have victory and close the doors over the enemy and, and, and walk, in, walk in God's purposes? Jesus' work on the cross is a picture that we see in righteousness. That, is, that, that breastplate of righteousness is a picture of Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus is our, our breastplate of righteousness. <clears throat> you see, he doesn't call us just to do good works from the inside out or to try harder. He actually transforms us and puts his righteousness on the inside of us and frees us and cleans us and makes us righteous from the inside out. There's no other God or religion like that. He does a work from the inside and makes us holy and righteous on the inside. Let me explain that for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
We read that again. For our sake he made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus literally took our sin and the penalty for our sin, and in doing so, made us righteous as we put our faith in him. He made us righteous and gave us his righteousness on the inside. See, our right standing before God as Christians is not something that we have worked for or earned. We don't earn his love. We don't earn his favor. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only way back to Jesus, the only way back to right standing is through the cross, is through Jesus where he will impute his righteousness to us. We don't work for acceptance, guys. We work from it. We don't work for righteousness. We receive it from the Lord. And that is the good news we believe, guys. And there's a picture of what we see as he gives us his righteousness and cloaks it over us like a breastplate. <clears throat> you might say, oh man, my heart is so jacked up. Man, if you are a believer, he's cloaked his righteousness over you. When he sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son, Jesus. He sees not your actions. He sees his action on the cross. And he calls you righteous. I don't care what you did yesterday or the day before. If you're a Christian, you're pure. You are righteous because of the work of the cross. That is great news. <clears throat> so he gives us this breastplate. And this is a picture of the work on the cross. Now, this breastplate was literally, I mean, about 40 pounds. <clears throat> you just see the strength of this breastplate. When you think of a 40-pound piece of metal that goes in the front of the back, it's just the strength. And I love it. it just refers to the strength of the good news of Jesus. It would be hard to penetrate 40 pounds of metal with anything. Not only that, it was probably the most beautiful piece of armor. You know, I taught last week how the belt probably wasn't as visible or wasn't as noticeable, but the armor would be out glistening in the sun. Be out glistening in the sun. This is beautiful, big brass piece. And actually said, the more you would wear it, the more it would wear down, and it would become even more beautiful with wear. It would be shining in the sun brilliantly, and that's a picture of who you are in Christ with the work of Jesus. You're not your sin. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and that breastplate is a picture of that. Forty pounds of pure, glistening, shining beauty sticking out from your chest. That's awesome. But it's extremely important that we learn to walk in the breastplate. We learn to walk in Christ's righteousness. If we do, it'll become a source of courage, hope, and faith, and boldness. But if we don't, I believe it can be a source of great defeat, and fear, and shame, and retreat in our lives. You see, we're, we're in a battle, and if we don't, the effects can be, if we don't walk in that, it'll be devastating. Remember, we, it says we're, it's that we're able to stand. We need to put on these things so that we are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's a funny word, schemes, right? What would be the devil's schemes that he's talking about? Well, one of the ways we learn through his name. That word devil comes from two words, dia and balo. Dia literally means to, to penetrate or to move through 
And balo means to throw something. So put together, we have a picture of the scheme of the enemy. He's not that crafty. He has like one or two ways he works again and again and again. Sometimes we're just a little dense and we're not very quick to figure it out. <clears throat> like, oh, I just did the same thing. Did you do anything different? No. I fell in the same sin. Did you do anything different? No. He does the same thing, just in kind of like different formats. Same thing. That word means put together. It means for he's repetitively throwing and hitting something to penetrate through. So it gives a picture of his schemes. He's repetitively throwing us and hitting us in the sense to penetrate through our mind, our will, and emotions with his lies and his destructions. And he'll keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it with the same lies and the same uh, attacks and the same trash being thrown in until he can get through to your heart and your mind. And remember, the centrality of the heart. There's a reason that song, shot through the heart. He's devastated. He's been shot through the heart. He cannot go on and live. <clears throat> the enemy knows the same thing. If he can shoot you through the heart, if he will penetrate you again and again and again and again and again, he'll just throw the same lie at you again. He'll throw it in a different format or a different word, but he'll just keep throwing it at you until you finally get tired and give up, and he'll be shot through the heart. What do you see with Israel and Goliath? He said he repeated, he was up there taunting them day after day after day. 1 Samuel 17, 11 says that Saul and Israel, when they heard him, they were greatly dismayed and afraid. What did his taunts do? He didn't even fight them, and he shut the entire army down. And he hadn't even gone to battle yet. Right? They probably weren't fighting. I know that they weren't fighting. They probably weren't praying a whole lot. And they sure as heck weren't walking by faith against Goliath. They were sitting there afraid because the enemy had penetrated and broken through to the taunts of Goliath. <clears throat> and he'll work to break through our heart in the same way. You really call yourself a Christian? God can't use you, stupid thing. You really saved? If you were saved, you wouldn't do that. You're probably the worst believer. There's like a whole lot of better ones, but don't tell the people next to you. Don't tell them, because if they knew what you were struggling with, they wouldn't let you back, which isn't true, by the way. It's a lie from hell. <clears throat> you. So often we get like Israel, a few taunts, a few attacks, a few lies, and we're sidelined and discouraged. I really think that almost 90% of the body of Christians and the body of Christ are walking around not confident to pray, are walking around sidelined from their real purpose, filled with shame, filled with fear, filled with not wanting to take a risk because we've been taunted and intimidated. And we say, well, I'm not sinning in these outward ways, so I'm doing okay. But in our heart, we're getting our lunch eaten. And Jesus is a picture of David. He's a better David. He came. He destroyed Goliath and called us to rise back up and to be the people that we're called to be. If we don't have our breastplate on, tightly secured, think about it. Those lies, those attacks. I mean, if you so much poke me with a knife, ow. If you took a little knife to my shit, a little butter knife right here and you poke, that would hurt. Don't do that. <laughs> Ouch. 
And my heart's behind there. And I'm a sensitive guy. Don't do that to me. <clears throat> if you don't have your breastplate secure and you're walking into battle, not with butter knives, but their enemies coming at you with anything he's got, and the heart is the wellspring of life, Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart for it's a wellspring of life. And we're running the battle, not understanding our own righteousness, not understanding what Jesus has done on the cross. And we wonder why we're getting defeated. Wonder why we're discouraged. We wonder why we don't have faith. I'll tell you right there. You've got to learn to walk in the breastplate. But when we do learn to put our righteousness on, the enemy cannot stand against. If you can come on out, a little illustration. Come on. Woo. <laughs> Let me first illustrate those abs right there. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I just want to see your abs, so let's go. Now, uh, check out that breastplate. So you can see it's the front. You can see it's the back. It's the whole thing, which is kind of an accurate picture of what we'd have, right? So like I said, a little poke with a butter knife would be hurtful. But if you got the armor on... Look at that. Now I know this is a Minecraft sword. <laughs> the enemies have been coming at you with more than just a Minecraft sword, but I didn't want to scuff up, you know, the armor or whatever. So, listen, the enemy comes at you. Look, I don't believe you sin anymore. Bounce off. You're not a real Christian. Bounce off. I can't believe you did that. Bounce off. He might go to your backside because he likes to stab us in the back. Boom, bounce off. Comes at you, boom, bounces off again, boom, right? You see, there's nothing the enemy can do to our heart when we know who we are in Christ. When you're walking in the righteousness that has been purchased for you on the cross, there's no shame or fear or discouragement that can get hold of you because the armor is a whole lot stronger. This is 15 pounds of armor. The, the thing is probably referring to is about 40 pounds of glistening brass. Come on, thank you. Way to go. When we carry our righteousness and we walk in it, we face the enemy completely differently. If I were to go in without any chest protection into a battle with someone with a, with a weapon, I'd be going like this the whole time. If I were to go in with an impenetrable breastplate, I'd go in totally differently. Because I knew I already had the victory in the Lord. We don't fight for victory. We fight because we already have it in Christ. We don't have to win to have righteousness. We fight and we win because we are righteous in Christ. No matter what trash the enemy throws at me, no matter if I'm perfect or not, he can't touch me because we already have the victory, church. <clears throat> Romans 5.17, it says this. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? That's good news. How much more if we have received grace and we have his righteousness imputed to us, how much more will we reign in life over the enemy, over his schemes, through Jesus Christ? 
What that saying is when you get a hold of the truth and you believe it, you can know it, but I'm talking about believe it. When you get a hold of the truth and believe that God has imparted righteousness to you, it changes you. You go from a wounded warrior to a courageous victor. You start to expect God to show up. You start to believe that you are pure. You start to believe that you are an overcomer. You start to expect victory. You start to walk as an overcomer. You start to reign over your circumstance, and you start to bring the king and his kingdom around you wherever you go. That word, and it says that, we, um, that we'll be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy, that word against literally means face to face. Many of us, because we don't know our righteousness, he's been taunting us, and we've kind of had our back, and I'm afraid. He's saying, you're righteous in Christ. Stand up and take him out. Stand up, tell him who you are in Christ, Tell him to leave and start worshiping the Lord in his face and he's going to flee. Stand up and face him because your God is bigger. And the fruit of that, I believe, is incredible strength. How can we be strong in the Lord? It's not by your good works. It's not a feeling that you muster up. It's the byproduct of what Jesus did for you already. That word strong comes from the root word dunamis. Which comes, that's where we get the idea of dynamite. So when he's saying be strong in the Lord, he's saying, I'm putting dynamite power strength inside of you. He's not saying, oh, just like muster up a good feeling, muster up like a good happy thought. He's saying, when you start to get a hold of who you are in Christ, when you start to get a hold of the, the righteousness in Christ, you wear that breastplate of righteousness, your heart starts to become like explosive dynamite, full of strength. <clears throat> that word is also used frequently in classical Greek to describe individuals who have been carefully handpicked, kind of like the superheroes of the day, the Greek superheroes. I believe Paul deliberately chose that word so that we would have clear connotations, that we have a God who turns broken, sinful people Mere men and women to possess superhuman, supernatural strength and confidence. Not by our own effort, by his work on the cross. Paul is saying, walk in the dynamite strength given to you in the cross. I'm going to turn you from who you think you are, your own failures, your own sin, and I'm reminding you who you are in Christ and I'm calling you to walk in that and walk in supernatural dynamite strength. Come on. Does that excite anyone? That's who you are. That's who you are, church. You're a dynamite of courage. It goes on. To be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He didn't say be strong. He can do three words of strength and power and the power of his might. That word power really means demonstrated power. It's God's demonstrated power. It's what Paul used back in Ephesians 1, talking about the resurrection. What, what strength are you walking in? The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is inside of you, Romans says. You're walking in that, the most powerful force that created the heavens and the earth. That's the power. And what is his might? <clears throat> that word might Connotates the idea of a bodybuilder. So strong. That is the strength of the bodybuilder God we have walking that dynamite strength. 
That's good. I know in my own life, I didn't always feel strong. I can say by the grace of God, I have many off days. I can say I'm filled with a whole lot of faith and courage. Life around me doesn't have my circumstances, don't always dictate that. And at times I need to go get strengthened back in the Lord again. But I am filled with grace and courage, strength and courage many days because I know who he is. But what did that process look like? I had to drive the truth of God's righteousness in me down deep into my soul until I got it. I would so often walk around discouraged, feel like I'm failing God, I'm failing God, I'm not doing enough, how could God use me? <clears throat> and I went to God's word. Romans 8.1, I remember memorizing it in college, in the, I remember sitting there with it everywhere, there's therefore no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ, for the law of the spirit of life has set me free from loss and death, driving the truth, driving the truth. I'm not righteous because of what I did, right? It says, he, he loved me so much while well, I was a yet, yet still a sinner. He died for me. Just getting the word of God, getting the truth of who I am in Christ. If, if uh, I'm a new creation, if I'm in Christ Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. Just driving it deep down. I have value apart from what I do. I have worth because I'm made in the image of God and I've been redeemed. I'm pure, I'm righteous, I'm holy. Just driving it down until I started to believe it. I would have to look in the mirror, and I'm going to talk this more when I talk about the helmet of righteousness. I would have to look in the mirror and say, Mark Spitter, you are a righteous man of God. You are pure. You are forgiven. You are holy. And the more I did it, the more I started to believe it. And the more I started to believe it, the more I started to walk like it. And the more I started to believe it and walk like it, the more free I got, the more victory I had, and the more impact God worked through me to impact around me. <clears throat> We're going to wrap up in just a minute, but I, I do want to say, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we can try as hard as we want to work to heaven. We can try as hard as we want to get right with God, but this white shirt, you know, if it gets dirty, if I get more nice white shirts, good works, it doesn't clean this shirt. We need a cleansing of our soul and forgiveness of sin. We need his righteousness, his cleanliness imparted to us. <clears throat> And if you're here and you, you're apart from God, I want to say today is a day to receive his righteousness, to admit our sin, to admit I need help. I, I threw up the white flag. I need a savior. I need, I need a savior to come save me. Today is a day he wants to give you a new life and a new start no matter what you've done. <clears throat> and if you're here and you do know Jesus, I want to say it's time to start believing this. We need to put more faith in Christ's work on the cross than our own dead works. And if we're not believing that, we need to repent of putting more faith in our works than his work. Amen. One last thing I want to say. How does that work out? How does that work out in our midst? We need to learn to walk in that breastplate of righteousness. How do we wear that? How do Because, you know, it's a little awkward. I put that thing on. It's 15 pounds, you know. It's, it's a new thing for many of us when we get saved, right? We become a new person, but sometimes all our thoughts haven't fully changed yet. <clears throat> all our emotions, sometimes we still remember the past. So you might be asking, man, if that's really what Jesus did in me and I'm a new creation, why would I still struggle with sin? Let me say it like this. <clears throat> I believe, personally, we're three different parts. We're spirit, soul, and body. 
if I can get that little illustration. <clears throat> when we get saved, we are a new creation. Our spirit becomes a new person. We still got the same old body, right? That <laughs> didn't change, better or for worse. <clears throat> but I believe, you know, our soul is where we have our mind, our emotions, our will. <clears throat> so our spirit becomes new, but sometimes we're still struggling with that old emotion, that old feeling. So you wonder why, you know, I'm saved. I think I still feel at times fearful. I still feel at times doubtful. I still feel at times like I'm not saved. Well, your soul is catching up to your spirit. It's a process called sanctification. And God uses his word. God uses his spirit. God uses his, his sovereign work. God uses the body to catch our soul up to our spirit. And so that's why it's still important that Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the streams of life or the issues of life. <clears throat> you see, we still have a choice, church, of whether we're going to put on that breastplate or whether we're going to walk in who we used to be. Back two chapters describes it like this. It says, now that you heard about Jesus, put off the old man and the sinful desires and put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If you are saved, you are a new creation. You are righteous. You've got that breastplate. But church, don't go into battle today, tomorrow without it. Put it on and start to learn to walk in it. <clears throat> Just three practicals to end with how to do that. Number one, we've got to live on offense. If we're in a war, we've got to live on offense by putting on Christ. <clears throat> if you're struggling with something, how are you meeting with Jesus in that struggle? What does the Bible say about that? So often someone's coming and saying, I'm struggling with this sin. What do I do? I'll say, hey, what does the Bible say about that sin? What does the Bible say about Jesus? Er, well, okay, go back there. Because remember, the belt of truth holds together the breastplate of righteousness. You've got to remember what the Bible says about who you are, and you've got to start wielding that sword. <clears throat> Have an offensive plan of how you're putting on Christ in your life, and especially in that area of life, and what the Bible says about it. Secondly, <clears throat> uh, we need to play defense. We need to play defense by putting on Christ. <clears throat> you can have a great offensive strategy in, let's say, football, but if you put everyone on the bench when you're supposed to be on defense, you're not going to win. Right, so we're, we're putting on Christ. We're letting that reality drive deeper and deeper and deeper in our souls. And the more we know we're pure, the more we won't even want to sin because we know who we are. <clears throat> but we want a defensive strategy. And James puts it like this. He says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then desire has conceived and gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. <clears throat> we don't just fall into sin overnight. He gave like a five-step process right there. He said, okay, God's not tempting you. And when you fall into sin, what's happening is you're tempted, then you're lured away, then you're enticed, then the desire grows, and it gives birth to sin, and then death happens. And so often we're over here like, I keep doing this. I don't know why. And it's like, 
a whole, you just took five steps without knowing it and you found yourself here. We're often trying to change our body rather than feed our soul. And God is saying, sin comes from the overflow of the heart. Quit trying to change your behavior and start putting on Christ over your soul and walking in that. <clears throat> so I want to ask you for the places you're trying to battle and walk in, in that victorious life. I bet your struggle isn't looking at something on the internet. I bet it's probably loneliness, fear, isolation, rejection. Something back here got you tripped up, and when you feel that, you go to find some comfort somewhere else. Name whatever the sin is. It probably started back here. What is your pattern? I'm not shaming you. I'm saying you're holy in Christ. I'm trying to help you walk in that. <clears throat> what is your pattern? Where does it start? And set up a boundary back here. Put your offensive and defensive strategy back here. Don't say, the Bible says I shouldn't do this. Say, no, no, no. Back here, when I'm alone, God will never leave or forsake me. Back here, when I'm afraid, I know who my God is. And you know who he is. And you have a boundary specifically around that place. So often, we need to get a little bit more real and practical. I really want to get free. What boundary are you putting up? It's like, not do that again. Like, really. Just food for thought. Uh, <laughs> lastly, okay, defensive strategy. And by the way, that also deals with the forgiveness issue, offense in our heart. So often we're like frustrated, you know, and uh, we're, we're going along and <clears throat> I'm not sitting outwardly, but we have offense in our heart. We have bitterness. Someone hurt us in the body. Someone hurt us in the family. We're family. That's going to happen. We have different viewpoints on specific little things or different things. It's critical that we not only um, look at our, our outward sins and work backwardly, but it's critical that we forgive one another and walk in love with one another. Jesus said this. He said, uh, if you're not willing to forgive others, you yourself will not be forgiven. He puts it central in the Lord's Prayer. He said, give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me for my trespasses, and I forgive others who trespass against A daily dose of forgiveness. I'm needed to literally every day saying, God, I'm blessing the person that is difficult or that person has said something or whatever. I'm blessing them. I'm releasing them. We're moving on. We need a daily dose of forgiveness and working through our offenses. It's a central issue with the Lord. All right. Lastly, and I'll just make this quick, who's your crew? So you got offensive, defensive. Now who's your team? Who's your team walking this through, first and foremost, to remind you who you are in Christ, to remind you you are righteous. This isn't even who you are. You're pure. You love holiness. You love what is righteous, and you hate what is evil because that's who you are. <clears throat> and then let me help you along the way. Let me, add, let me encourage you. Let me ask you the hard questions. What is your offensive strategy in that area? What is your defensive strategy, and who is your team you're going with? <coughs> God's given us his breastplate. God's given us his righteousness. This isn't just about trying to get free from sin. This is about walking in who God made us to be as children, pure, children of the living God, holy children of the living God. We want to learn to put on his breastplate. I want to stand as we end.